filter our message behind the blog. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie, and I am just I'm I'm just beyond excited to introduce you to Dr. Savitra Ditson Satson. Uh, where do I begin? Uh, first of all, she is a scholar. She serves as the vice provost for the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. She has over a 27-year career in higher education. So y'all, she is the truth. Dr. Ditson Satson's primary area of interest are the psychosocial identity of African-American women, intergenerational women, or workplace dynamics, excuse me, and leadership and mentoring in distance education. She was doing distance education before we started doing distance education a year ago. As a single and custodial parent herself, Dr. Ditson Satson has focused her research on the issues of African-American single mothers, especially those who are in poverty and those who are trying to achieve and maintain middle-class status as single parents. In 2013, she was named a woman worth watching by the Diversity Journal. Since January of 2016, she has served as the chair of Walden's Diversity and Inclusion Working Group. She is a trained counselor, educator, and a licensed professional counselor in the state of North Carolina and national certified counselor. She is also, get this, a graduate of Walden's Master of Business Administration program. However, I would dare to say that amidst her numerous accomplishments, of which there are many, her most precious titles are those of her a mom and her soon-to-be graduating high school senior. We'll have to get into that, y'all. Make sure mm-hmm. that Dr. Sasson is okay here. Uh, daughter to her wonderful parents who are a blessing and sister and aunt to the loves of her life. So welcome, Dr. Savitra, to Praxis No Filter. It's a blessing to have you here. Uh, we're one year out since our world really went upside down and changed. How are you and what are the reflections you are experiencing? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it was, it's interesting because <laughs> in preparing for the conversation, of course, I prayed and asked God to give me, to guide my words and allow me to recall things that, interestingly enough, in a short 12 months, I may have forgotten it might be might prove useful to your your um, listeners. So I'm trusting him and um, all of that and bringing to mind my, my, those things that he thinks are most important for me to share. But, you know, I am um, I'm doing well. I am doing well. I am so blessed in this time. Um, from my perspective, unimaginably blessed uh, that, you know, I have been able to continue to work and feed my daughter during this time. Um, My parents' health is no worse now than it was before. Um, I have really had important time to be quiet an important time to spend with my daughter. So for all of those reasons, I feel like I'm well. And I've also had an opportunity to give significant thought to how I have grown and developed and to develop and to walk in the world with more courage. Um, That's really been an, an important theme for my life probably for the last 18 years. And I say that there's no coincidence that my daughter is 18 years old. Um, And I have worked a lot to try to be courageous as a mom. But recently I've started to understand my courage as a leader too. And that's been really important. And to understand the source of my courage and to just always walk in that to see myself as favored by God because he allows me to walk through the world with confidence. Um, So, you know, I've been trying, I've been really thinking a lot about how I'm doing. And I have to tell you that I think what's been most interesting to me about um, myself is that I have been able to give voice to to name those things that are are less than perfect during this time. And um, Hmm. that's really been an interesting, a very interesting thing. But you know, when I reflect on this pandemic, there is one thing that's always gonna stand 
out in my mind. I was in my yard, and you know how much I love to fancy myself a gardener, right? I have, I have so, I have so many things. Yes, you do. <laughs> you are serious about your garden. Yeah, and I, it's but, amazing, y'all. But I, I have had amazing. some feelings there, and I was down on my hands and knees, um, doing a border around a flower bed. And just kind of keeping my eye on um, my phone. And for some reason, I took a break and sat down on the grass. And I looked at um, Facebook and a classmate of mine announced that her husband, this very, very young looking, um, strapping, muscular man had succumbed to COVID. And up until that point, you know, I had been... um, Staying in contact with my cousin who had COVID and was not telling his elderly parents really why he was hospitalized so long. And I was staying in touch with him for the sake of, you know, our extended family who needed to know how he was doing. And um, he got on the road to recovery. And I was like, okay, okay, you know, it doesn't have to be devastating for everyone. The, the the moment I got notified that my classmate's husband passed, it changed everything for me about COVID. It was, it changed everything about, I had seen the, I, I had actually been educating other people about the potential of COVID-19 being a pandemic. I do a series at my um, university called Real World Solutions to Real World Problems. And so we had assembled a panel of people, a panel of experts in our community to talk about this disease and what it was and what potential it had. And um, so on a cerebral level, I was really understanding a lot about this disease. And, but that was the moment that it just gripped my heart. Not even when my cousin had it, did I have the same feelings that I had when I found out about my friend's husband. It just gripped me. It gripped me and I'll never forget it. I will never forget it. It is really something to consider how how this has happened. And I can remember mm-hmm. we're friends, y'all. I remember when you shared mm-hmm. that about your friend's mm-hmm. husband. It, it was amazing to me. I, I still cannot tell you why it hurt me so badly, why it devastated me so horribly. I I think, I, I, I can tell you what I think. Um, we're the same age. Um, she was married. She has a teenage daughter who just turned 16. She was the mom and an, of an only child. And I think, you know, through social media, you get glimpses. Of course, it's a curated glimpse of people's lives. And I have spent a lot of time as a single mother celebrating the love success of African-American couples. And this was a very, um, this is, this was very intentional on my part, not to get bogged down and harbor ill will for someone else's success that I didn't have, but to internally celebrate it and to be hopeful because of it and to also think of these people as examples for my daughter because I still want that for my child, even if it winds up being something that I never achieved, you know, to be in, um, you know, a really strong union in the eyes of God. If that's something I don't achieve, I still want it for my child. So I'm always paying attention to other people's examples and stuff. And I think that was part of the part of my hurt was, it was a hurt for somebody losing that as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as we reflect, uh, shortly after this time last year, Sonia Renee Taylor posted on Instagram this quote. It said, we will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was never normal other than what we normalized, which was greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, 
one that fits all of humanity and nature. So Dr. As a therapist, what do you consider our takeaways from that statement? And, and how are those takeaways sustainable when we consider all of the various in- identities that we hold in terms of race and gender and age and class? Uh, it's, it's a very powerful statement. And I have to tell you, I mean, I think I could sit and meditate on it for a really long time. And, you know, it's interesting that you say as a therapist, because sometimes I always I, I think about where does one identity end and the other begin, whether or not that ever happens mm-hmm. to me, right? Um, but one of the things that I right. see, I saw of people at first, you know, I, I think about probably my role as a leader in higher education. Um, as a leader in higher education winds up being one that is more prominent for me in this conversation. And so I was in an organization where we were trying to make decisions uh, about the decisions about everything related to our students, but particularly our students who were in clinical practice. We had counselors and psychologists and nursing students all engaged in clinical practice, but also being pretty in- essential at this time, right? And so we were trying to make decisions about them. And oftentimes we were in so many meetings and I, you know, as is the case, as you prepare for meetings, people exchange niceties. And I started noticing that a lot of my colleagues were talking about the inconveniences of the pandemic for them personally. And it was really hard for me (laughs) to be honest with you because, you know, I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb because for a long time, I was the only one who had relatives and friends and, you know, who were dealing with COVID or, and so I was Mm -hmm. like, I, 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 not just right. And I didn't know. I was like, what is it? I, I, I was like, is this, my experience of a black woman as a black woman, am I being further mo- marginalized? And this was before they started putting the pieces together about the discrepancies, you know. And but what happened, what was really inter- mm-hmm. interesting to me was that a lot of these people, you know, they were searching to entertain themselves and You know, they would complain about not being able to go to the park and not being able to do all of the things they were able to do in the past, but they were watching television. And I have a, you know, you and I have a background in mass media, right? So I have a love-hate relationship with media today because I grew up in the era of people like Walter Cronkite and Hugh Downs and those kinds of people, right? Mm -hmm. So we understood journalism right. as an objective medium, or, or at least, you know, we expected to get our news from the most objective sources possible. And I wasn't, I wasn't seeing a lot of that, but I started loving the fact that more and more the media was reporting about these disparities. And so you started to see people get a first time awareness, which to me was completely implausible. That's, that's, that's mind blowing right there. Really? (laughs) You didn't know that, you know, um, but you started for the first time seeing people um, become aware of just how many disparities existed in our society. And I was grateful for that, extremely grateful. And then, you know, you had like the perfect storm of a pandemic meets a racial crisis for some people. And I have to add that caveat. Um, You know, you had marginalization, you had lack, and dare I say it, you had moral decay all meeting up in one place, you know, and you, you, for a moment, for moments, you got so hopeful. Have you ever had that experience of 
you know, you think about it, you think about maybe a crush and, and maybe that's too trite, but you want it. There's something or someone you want it to notice you. And that, yes, I'm, I'm not going to waste my shot. Well, I have a shot they, they see us. They see right. what our experience is right now. And there's so much excitement about that. And then you have the experience of recognizing that greed and the the greed for mm. both power and privilege still exist and people will do anything to protect those things that they see as assets even you have people who are informed about what will happen to your soul should you not do the best you can on earth and thank God for Jesus. Thank God for grace. But, and they still, they still live in a way that is only about self-interest. And as soon as they get an opportunity, that's the place of homeostasis for them. Um, What I'm hopeful about is that there is you know, I'm not Freudian at all, I, I, but there's some validity in everything, right? And Freud talks to us, I, I, I say fraud and it's Absolutely. Freud. Freud talks to us about the, you know, the id, the superego, the ego. <laughs> and really what he's speaking to us about is balance, right? That you don't think of yourself as being all great yeah. and powerful and you don't think of yourself as not having power. There needs to be some balance. And what I've come to recognize, you know, for the longest time, there were people who talked about what was going on with the middle class, what was going on with the middle class. And I was like, why do they only focus on the middle class when there's so many people who are poor? And why do they only focus with, on the middle class when, you know, um, 10% or less than 10% of the people hold 90% of the world's wealth. Why is there such a focus on the middle class? And you start to understand that the focus on the middle class is really because these are people in the center. And they they have an awareness of privilege and power, but they also are not so far removed. Right. That they, they have the ability far. to have compassion for those who don't have power and privilege. And I, I want to say this because I've been confronted and convicted this week about the absolute ways I speak. Every person who has power and privilege is not someone who lacks compassion and care and concern. Um, and I want to make sure that I say that to the le listeners that I'm aware of that. I don't want to indict someone for what they have, but I do want to remind people that to whom much is given, much is required. And so, you know, we have to live in that when we have opportunities as well. Uh -huh. But I, I will tell you that, you know, when I, I, I heard that, when I read what you were saying, Sonia Renee Taylor said, I was like, you know, it's, she's right. I don't want to go back to a time when I didn't know. Or I don't want other people to go back to a time they didn't know. I also don't want people to be selective about who they think is, who they deem worthy of their compassion. But I do think that those mm -hmm. of us who are somewhere in the middle have the responsibility to continue to communicate to those who are in power and privilege and to be co courageous when we do that. And we have the responsibility to always keep our eyes out for those who who are so far in the margins, so far on the periphery, and make sure that we are making a connection between those two groups of people. I hope that if we got anything out of this experience, that that's something we will all feel compelled to do. And I hope we don't forget it. It's exactly mm -hmm. what you said. I hope it hasn't, it's been a year, but there have been so many lessons that I pray that we we carry them with us and, and do not just return as though we just hung out mm -hmm. in the house for an hour or a year and that was it. Um, you mentioned something as you were talking about navigating between where your identity 
is as a, a clinician and also being a woman of faith and sometimes that they may bump up against each other or sometimes they intersect mm-hmm. or sometimes they may go in different directions. What's been surprising to you? How do you navigate that, especially being in a world where, you know, for us in in church, and I'll go even specifically to say within the Black church, we still have a lot of um, issues to resolve around seeking therapy and seeking God and not assuming that we can do both at the same time or what does that look like for you? How do you, how does one influence the other? You know, I live in a world where a lot of people make jokes about some of the things. I live in a professional world where people oftentimes make jokes about um, some of my, the way I behave and certain situations and that kind of thing and, and some of the things that I won't do. Um, and I'm not perfect. And I'm so I'm not going to give an account of each one of those things. I thank God where I am, have um, been through his been able to be disciplined through his grace. And I pray that he continues to work with me in those places where I don't have yeah. discipline. Um, but the example of the things that I seem to be consistent with as a person of faith are oftentimes things that people joke about. Um, I am, my direct supervisor is someone who identifies as, I would at best say she's probably agnostic. Um, But she has been the beneficiary of my prayers numerous times because she's had such difficult decisions to make. And one of the things I recognized when I was a practicing therapist is that I always pray, pray for my clients. I was forever talking to God about them and always trying to balance what I thought he would want for me to do as a Christian with what I knew I was professionally obligated to do. And um, I always think about, I had a client years ago um, who had a, a horrible experience of having to go try to find her mother with the belief that her mother was dead. And at the time we had such an extensive um clinical relationship that the human being in me was really invested in what her task was and whether or not she was going to be able to do it at that particular point, you know? And when she returned and we spent time processing everything she had going on, the Christian in me knew that, that she needed something akin to a mother in that moment. And what could I give her that was appropriate for that moment? Mm -hmm. And I asked permission to give her a hug and she willingly accepted it and I gave it. And, you know, I think about it. I have the freedom of having those counselor sensibilities, but not being bound by um, the tenets of practice right now. So I'm able to give people um, the benefit of that educational and professional experience um, and have it all wrapped up in love. So, you know, what I have found is that we were, my mother and I were just having this discussion recently, um, because I, I I never watched daytime television, but I was visiting my parents and there was this interaction between Sharon Osbourne and Cheryl Underwood that was disturbing to me. And my, my mother said to me, she, she, you know, she's like, I can't believe yeah. you said that. And I, I made the comment that it's very common for white women to want African-American women to take care of them um, in the workplace. And she was like, well, I think that's a racist thing for you to say. And I was like, you, it, it, besides saying to her that I should have the freedom to say what I experience when I'm in my parents' home and shouldn't have to be as guarded as, guarded as I may be in other Yeah. You know, besides that, right, as I would just, in a boardroom. You know, one of those things that, you know, as on my drive home, I started thinking about why is that common to my experience? What is it about me in all the different ways I have tried to avoid being that person for people, or at least tried to make sure that there was balance for me and I wasn't burdened by that role? How is it? that that's my experience. And a large part of it is because of, you know, whatever it was that attracted me to the counseling field comes out in how I interact with people in a lot of different settings, right? But 
what I um, have found that has been so hugely important in my workplace is my ability to influence the combat compassion that we proceed with compassion with the people we work with. You know, um, I significantly influenced the mental health days that we gave to people without them having to take any personal or sick leave. You know, um, I have talked a lot to my um, supervisor who is, you know, making a lot of decisions about how things go at our university, about really making sure that we are thinking about, in the words of our Lord and Savior, the least of these, right? That we are not working to respond to those, just those people who are in the center, but the people who have the least right now. And by by virtue of supporting them, it winds up be, being universally beneficial. And it's something that, you know, I, you know, they laugh at me and they, they always do that because I have like these mantras of me being a dream guardian. And it's important for me to listen to another person's dreams and fi- figure out how I can facilitate that. Not, you know, I, I guess it sounds hokey to some people, but it's been part of my brand. So the people around me are not uncomfortable and it's not new to them to hear me saying, hey, you know what? We are all really privileged that we still work, but a lot of our our students are not. How do we wound up? What do we do to show them that we care for them? Or we've had, you know, we have a lot of people who've had to go home and um, meaning they're no longer working in the offices and people are like, well, you know, um, we've told them that we're not going to rush to bring them back to the offices, but they still want to know. They're still asking. And I was like, because you think that you've given them enough information, but these are people who are navigating so much. Right. Yes. <laughs> They trying to yeah. make decisions. They yeah, I mean, they need people who are taking care of elderly or chronically ill relatives. At the same time, they're taking care of their children in their households. I've heard about a lot of people who've moved their relatives, you know, their parents into their homes so that they could all shelter in place together. And so, you know, I don't yeah. know if I really answered together. your question, but I, I can That's say right. to you that when I think about my identity as a counselor really is not separate from my identity as a Christian. It winds up being such a significant part of it. And it really is the thing that allows me to interact with people with unconditional positive regard. It's the thing that allows me to reflect on my own failings and not be so harsh with someone else on theirs. Um, And it is, it's, it's, it's really that thing that in the absence of an answer or the absence of knowing how to proceed, I rest on my faith in saying, I'm going to help this person. I don't exactly know which theorist to apply in this particular setting or, you know, because a lot of times the reality is people bring things to me that are new all of the time, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, it, it, right. it don't exist so in the book. To, you have to, the there, there are <laughs> so many times. I, I heard this doctor once say that um, when he entered medical school, he was not a person of faith, but it was his practice in medicine that allowed his faith to go stronger because he started to understand the limitations of what he had been taught. And he had to rely on something far greater than what man had discovered in order to really be of service to his patients. And so I think about that a lot that, you know, I think I think that in every area of my life, I would there. I just believe in my heart that my performance winds up being um just just maybe four or five times better than it would be if I wasn't constantly saying to God, I need you, please guide me. Allow me to be the be your vessel, please. <laughs> <laughs> 
Amen. And I, I never, in all the time that I've known you, I never have thought about it in the way that you described it, that it really is centered and mirrored so perfectly. There is the space that you create for people to express themselves without giving judgment, extending grace, hope, tools, resources to go on and expecting yeah. that they yeah. have resolve and come out. And that's what faith does. That is how we come to the father. And um, I can understand how that's both deeply personal, but deeply principled in such a way that you've been able to be successful in this vein yeah. because you are centering right. to say, God, these, this is your people. This is your office. This is your space. Guide me. Y'all can see why this person has yeah. been my girl for, well, what, 27, 28 years. This has been my friend, um, my very, very, very close friend. And we... <sighs> are both girl moms. She mm -hmm. met me when I was beginning as a girl mom. Really early, y'all. Um, we knew each other a little bit. We were working together, but I had a family crisis going. My daughter's father was in crisis, Was um, had a brain tumor out of nowhere. And we were going to the hospital and people coming in to try to figure out what was going on. And this is my friend that had not had to has lots of cousins she has a beautiful big family but she was not parenting at the child it was at the time it was like y'all go to the hospital i got this child there. true i don't know what you don't know me but we're gonna be good <laughs> so we, right, we met really early in terms of being girl moms and then as i i continued to raise mine uh my friend here was blessed with her beautiful daughter who i'm i'm going to Ooh. not get emotional and thinking that she's 18 and getting ready to graduate from high school. I, I'm just really, that is a lot. So she has really, my friend has both been my friend, but also encouraged me through the exact intersection that she just described in terms of her brilliant practice of being a therapist, but also her faith. And I feel like um, women parenting women, <laughs> I said as I was preparing it's it feels like sometimes I'm off constantly in pandemic mode and even though hers is 18 and mine is 27 I think that there are so many similarities and ebbs and flows that we have as women parenting women so this is just a little space for some of our male listeners you all still lean in because you need this information but talk to us about what it's like to parent young women and and what are the lessons that you even are learning from being a practitioner that is providing tools and resources to people to encourage young women yeah oh, in this wow time you know what I, I have to relay this anecdote because um, it's so important um, one of the things that I will say to anyone just to start in case you get lost in anything else I say is that you are parenting your child for a lifetime, probably, but you're parenting your child. And whatever else can be replicated in this world, that energy that your spirit, your soul brings to that situation, the energy that your child's soul and spirit brings to that situation can never be replicated. And you may think that you, your circumstances are just like the person down the street or the person you sit on the bench, you know, the pew with at church, but it's not. And what the pandemic has given me an opportunity to do is accept my daughter as, I, as she is. That means to be satisfied with the person I have raised and to understand that she is a reflection of my rearing boy has that been difficult um that was difficult for me to recognize and accept and i'm so grateful to god that his timing is perfection um he is he is a long gamer and i just get a chance to get in it for milliseconds in the big scheme of things. But 
it is, I'm so grateful to him for Come the on. lessons he's taught me during this pandemic. I spent a lot of time, the reason I focus so much on the experience of um, single mothers trying to maintain middle class status is because of people like you and our friend Carolyn Veal, because I saw you all working so hard to give your children the best with everything the best experiences, the best opportunities, the best access to Jesus, all of those things. You know what I'm saying? And so that was the blueprint for me. <laughs> and I was trying to do it all too. And I had this child based on the involvement in church and Girl Scouts and sports and dance and every science program I could get her to in the pro in the summers and every leadership opportunity I could get her to and everything, every museum I could think to take her to. I had her on the trajectory for what I thought would be a full ride in college, right? And all of a sudden, and maybe not so suddenly, um, when my daughter started reaching kind of the mid-teen years, um, it, it was really more concentrated to maybe a 14-month period. That was really, really hard for us. It was hard for us. It was far, hard for her. She's always been like, you know, a tough, as I refer to her as a tough chick. Like she's always been really confident about what she wanted to do and asserting herself and everything like that to me in her relationship with me. So I was surprised when she started struggling and I couldn't give, I couldn't put my finger on what it was until she told me that she needed support beyond me. Mm -hmm. And I was, I, I, I was like, no problem. I got you. You know, I, I was a, I was definitely a proponent of getting her outside help if she needed it. But there was still a struggle. And when um, and the, the, the biggest struggle for me where she she may have been like, hey, I'm not happy. But the biggest struggle for me was, girl, your grades, you know. And, and so when we were first notified right. that they wouldn't be going right. back to school and they had this delay for school and everything, I was like, this is your time. You can really just immerse yourself in school and you can catch up and you can do that. And regardless of the fact that the world was on fire. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. We're going to keep going. She wasn't being And I was about to lose <laughs> my mind. And it, you know what? And let me just tell you, you don't ease into mind loss, okay? I'm, somebody like me, you go kicking and screaming. When you lose your mind, come you on, show out. On. And it's something about being a person who kind of keeps it in the middle of the road that when you do fall <laughs> apart, you fall apart bigger than other people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I literally put on the show. <laughs> As we, as we always say, I put we got on the show tickets to the rehearsal. show, y'all. Tickets to the show. <laughs> yes, but then I, um, after rehearsal. falling apart like that, there was nowhere to go but up, you know. And I started to realize that okay, you know, we got a couple of reprieves because some of those grades that were not so great wound up not counting. Um, and she still wound up with a strong enough GPA to not just get into college, but get, you know, a few small merit scholarships and that kind of thing that at the very least, they'll offset the cost of some books or something like that. But what I have been given is an opportunity to spend time with my daughter. And I'm going to tell you, I've been on a roller coaster because um, there are times when I see things I haven't taught her. And I asked her, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I chastised myself. You were so busy out there working and traveling for work and stuff like that. And she's not read all of the classics and she hasn't done this and she hasn't done that. And we were gifted with a year where I didn't have to travel. And we have baked, you know, we've made pizza dough and we've made crazy Cheeto string cheese, I mean, mozzarella sticks and all kinds of stuff like that. And I started to, on the surface, <laughs> accept that as a gift. But 
you know, at this point when everybody starts announcing what scholarships they got, mm-hmm. a lot of our peers and stuff are announcing those things. I saw myself going back to that same place of what did I do wrong? Why did I not prepare her like that? I was like, was it because I traveled all the time for work? Did that take something from her? Let me tell you what God said to me. He didn't leave me to my own devices. He said to me, what was the alternative? Have I not already provided for you? Because he speaks to me in King James speak. I said, oh, (laughs) (laughs) oh, oh, my God. And that's why I say it's important. Mm -hmm. It's so important. Yes, broke you all the way down. Broke it, broke it thou. Art thou not remember? But the beauty of that was, do you remember? I'm going to ask you something. This is very personal. Do you remember when I first found out I was pregnant with Sunia? I was very afraid. And you may not recall the details of this, but I wasn't sure that having a child at that particular time was the right thing to do. And one day I was on my way to the food line on Avent Ferry and I was almost hit by a bus. And in that moment, the first thing I thought about was my child, which meant to me that even though the rest of the world couldn't see that I was pregnant, I knew I was pregnant with a child. And not only was I pregnant with a child, I was attached to the child. And so I went into Food Lion and they had those little, what do you call them, Stephanie? Like, a, the, uh, what do we call those things? Um, it's like a daily bread devotional. Um, yeah. What do you, what's the, well, you know the word. I'm... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I so they had this little, these little rectangular books. They were not the daily books? bread, but it was something yeah. like that. And while I was sitting there waiting and shaking up from almost being hit, I just flip it open. Well, this is what God looks like. This is what my daughter and I talk about this. This is what God looks like. This is what God looks like. God looks like taking me directly Mm -hmm. to the scripture in this little book from Psalm 37, 25. I was young, but now I'm old. And yet... I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. And at that point, that became my motherhood brand. And I think all the time that I've not forgotten that, right? But every now and then, I get to a point where I get so caught up in social comparisons that I exactly... And the Lord had to again. say to me, he, he could not leave me, and leave me to my own devices. <laughs> he had to say to me, what are you thinking about? <laughs> you are not remembering how I have provided for you and that I have already provided for this next thing. All you have to do is celebrate that I'm taking care of it. Now, the challenge for me is whether or not I am righteous. And so the scripture always convicts me around how I live. Um, And not just because, you know, my favorite person in the Bible is David. Um, I definitely think about heaven. You know, I think about getting there and being there and not having the uncertainty that this beautiful world holds for us all of the time. Um, And I know that, you know, even in my hardest times, and this is something that I have had to remember a lot during the pandemic, that you can certainly feel like you have been given the short end of the stick. But when you feel like that, it's so important to go on a gratitude revival. Because when you do that, you remember that, yes, there are things that are less than perfect, but also, and this is important, also every good and perfect gift comes from God. 
you know and so i i i i was i was speaking to um david in the psalms when you know um we should always remember that god gives us refuge and he will place us on a rock you know in the face of so many things that feel like they are attacking you and the, you know in this last 12 months we felt that from so many different places things we um so many times we felt that there were so many things we couldn't c control that were attacking us but we always have to remember that god is unchanging in all of those things he is still giving us something to celebrate something you know at this particular point i i get to sign up for my vaccine on Monday, you would not know that I have to wait till Monday for that vaccine because I'm already, I'm already, I'm celebrating and shouting. I'm not going to wait for this fight to be over to celebrate the goodness that is in front of us and the goodness that we are experiencing mm -hmm. today already because we are, all of us are. I used to tell I have a person in my life who, who has struggled with addiction for a long time. And even though I try to keep him in arms bay, I'm still connected to him in ways. And every time I talk to him for years, even though it seems like things are much better for him now, I used to say, if God woke you up, he has not given you up. And you have an opportunity to make today better than yesterday. Yeah. That's the praise break right there, y'all. Uh, I've been here since that gratitude yes. revival comic. Most definitely. <laughs> God be the glory. God be the glory. In our blog this week, we talked about checking our batteries. And it's really talking about those things that we started while sheltering in place and, and the things that we had to stop. Um, you talked some about that. But as you prepare and think about the fact that this beautiful young woman is getting ready to go away. What are some things that you're going to cultivate for yourself in terms of your own balance and your meditation? Because things will be a little bit different. You've, you've had this person inside of you and on the outside for 18 years. And what, what does life look like for Dr. Savitra? when the 18 year old is you know on I these think campuses that we've it's been funny she and I um, had a chance she's chosen year. to go I don't know yeah she's chosen to go to North Carolina A&T but there was really no competition for her with any place else that's the only place she wanted to go and they are doing everything they can to um, confirm her decision confirm and validate her decision um, <laughs> but you know um, at first uh, there was a point I would say maybe 14, 15 months ago where I was looking forward to her leaving. You know, I was like, this is right. She has to differentiate herself from me. She has to go out into the world and, you know, we don't have to argue and battle with each other every day. And interestingly enough, Monday, I recognized that I was really heartsick at the prospect of her leaving. And I imagine myself taking pottery classes, joining a book club or a writing club, um, doing hot yoga, you know, maybe learning to speak a foreign language and that kind of thing. I imagine all of those things for myself. Um, and then, of course, through the course of a pandemic, you know, I'm like, I spent enough time by myself. Um <laughs> But you know, I think right, that I'm trying to be with the people. <laughs> I am going to. I th I think that um, while I don't know for certain what I will do, I will have more of an opportunity to be a, uh, a daughter to my parents in a different way. You know, they need me much more now than they have before. I'll be praying with fervor for my child all of the time. Um, you know, I used to tell first year students, listen, these are the things you need to make sure you have in your room. You need to have a picture of your mama, your grandma and them, <laughs> and your Bible. You need to make sure. But what I would try to tell them all the time is that you've <laughs> got to stay. It's really important for African-American children 
to stay connected to um, family and to um, the faith of our fathers, so to speak. That's a really important thing for an emerging adult in the African-American community because, because it winds up being their best armor, you know? So I hope my daughter will heed my advice in that. I think that, you know, yeah. I'm really going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what I want the next, I want to say next quarter of my life to look like, um, you know, whether or not it means trying to find a lifetime companion or trying to be in a convenient spot for my lifetime companion to find me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that that's going to be important um, right. to be me common. as well. But, you know, I think um, the uh, one thing that I have been able to do is God has given me resources to be able to be a blessing to other people. And I'm going to look for the opportunity to do more of that as well. Those are the things that I have. A, I have a friend. She has the last child leaving home. And she's like, but girl, what are you going to do that's fun? And I was reading an article in People magazine today with Michelle Obama. And they were asking her something like, what do you do for fun? And she was like, you know, I celebrate the ability to eat well and I celebrate service. It's what she was saying was that she's just not the kind of person who's thinking only about, you know, oh, I'm gonna go to Cancun with my girls and we're gonna hang out, whatever. And that's just not who I am. That is it's not a bad thing to do, right. but it's not necessarily the thing that I'm looking forward to about being an empty nester. I'm probably thinking more about you know, okay, parenting will shape up differently next year. So there are some things that I would like to do and like to explore that I'm hoping I will do. I, I think I'm really hoping that I'm wise enough to take advantage of, you know, the gift of solitude um, in a way that I wasn't able to when I was younger. I didn't, you know, all I all I felt then was longing for something more. I hope that there is a sense of satisfaction that allows me to really take advantage of the gift of solitude. I love that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm struck by, yes, because it was the longing for the busy and the doing this morning, I had the opportunity to lay in the bed yeah. up until 10.15, and I was like, this is just the best day ever. <laughs> I'm not doing, I said, and it's funny, because right. the only thing I said, the only right. thing that would make this even better is if I had a really good meal right now, and then I could go back to sleep. Oh, no. And that's no, it. Oh, no, we got a different do. years ago, oh, my God, you could have caught yeah. me saying something like that. No. That's right. So I like to identify as a dangerously privileged curator. Well, of you know, I, I love you the fact that some, you asked me that question because it really made me think faith. about what what I'm like. And I have wonderful friends. It's, it's, I, I, I would say it's the story of the two Stephanies. Um, as my family refers to you all as Stephanie Niani's mom or Stephanie in Ohio. <laughs> right, right. So... You know, I have been gifted with two Ohio, friends named right. Stephanie. I don't, I don't recall the name Stephanie being in the Bible, but um, if if there were a chapter after the, after Revelations, I only imagine that somebody named Stephanie would be in it because two of the strongest and greatest faithers I know, and you know, I always tell you, for me, when I see you all's example, faith is an action verb. You know. Um, that two of the strongest faithers I know are named Stephanie. And so by <laughs> comparison, I oftentimes feel like my own practices are immature. Um, and my friend Stephanie is always like, no, no. And I always tell her, I tell her, I was like, listen, listen, listen. If somebody was to ask me, I would no, say that the two right. Stephanies, I, I would say, I love Jesus. The two Stephanies are married to Jesus. Um, but the the thing about it is, 
it's my blessing <laughs> to have an example of people who have practiced their faith in a way that allows me to strive for more, to be more, to have a better relationship with God. And there are times that I know that Jesus would say, boo, you being a fickle lover right now. But there are also things that that I do that wound up being such a part of who I am that I pr probably just don't pay attention to them the way that other people do. I have a supervisor who, not my direct supervisor, but the person above her, who sends me a devotional right. every morning. And so I spend my time reading that and just reflecting on it and trying to figure out how that applies because it's a devotional specifically for leaders. And that's been such an important thing um to have um one of the things i do for wow. myself is you know when somebody presents a situation to me i try to think about okay what's the appropriate scripture for this situation you know what i mean it's kind of like a game um what do you recall what does the word say about that you know that kind of thing and it's i, mm -hmm. I say it's a game but it's really me testing myself on how i recall the word given a specific situation you know um one of the things that we have had to do is encourage my dad in his physical therapy come on and so for a while i used to send him daily motivations um you know to send him encouraging words but i always make sure i included scripture in there which forced was forcing me to stop and really think about, okay, what's the thing that's called for today? What do you think his challenge is? What is the scripture? Because my dad is literally, he really, he truly is a biblical scholar. So if you can communicate to him through the word you wound up. Yes. I think you wound up penetrating his, his brain and his spirit with what you're saying um, more. But, you know, one of the things that, have, that happens to me all the time, um, some people might say it's the most, in, sometimes it's the least opportune time, but the Holy Spirit will tell me in, I'm in conversation and the Holy Spirit will direct me to stop to pray. And there are times, it's interesting because sometimes I go here right now, in the middle of Target, right? I'm like, right here in the middle of the Target in the children's section. We're going to do this right here. now. Like, yep. Right. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, I'm always like, you know, my, the fleshly self is like, but somebody going to interrupt me right in the middle yes. of this, you know, or whatever. It does, it, it does not happen. It winds up being that, that it is exactly what he wants me to do. Yes. Yes. So it winds up being perfect and orderly, but I'm exactly always like, as the Holy right now, Spirit told really? you to do. Right <laughs> and so, and you know, um, my pastor always talks about the fact that, you know, my, pa <laughs> my pastor is the Reverend Tell Dr. Dr. Harry Leo White Jr. Shout out to pastor. And he is an awesome under-shepherd. Um, but something he said to someone else, he actually didn't say it to me, but the other person related to me, and I think about it often, yeah. is that, you know, um, it's a real, you're in a real relationship with God, which allows you to ask questions, which allows you to be angry sometimes. It's a real relationship, you know? So in real relationships, sometimes you're called <laughs> on doing Come things on. at times where you're just like, now. <laughs> So, but it is, it's always um, very satisfying right. to heed oh. the call of the Holy Spirit. I have to say, it really is. It is, it renews you, um, it refreshes you, and it makes you feel comforted and safe. Um, just the fact that the Holy Spirit would call you out, like I said, you're such a small part of this world situation and the fact that the Holy Spirit would call you out to stop for a conversation is really a special thing and not to be taken for granted. Mm -hmm. God, we pray. As our word says, leads us into all truth. And that is what you have given us today. I cannot think of a more 
perfect, appropriate person to pause on this day. I was looking at my timeline. This was a year ago today when my prayers were uh, going up with you and so many others for my daughter to make it back to the state safely. She was in Paris. The borders were closing. You all were praying that plane over here, not knowing even when she arrived here, if she would be able to gain entry because she had been all over Europe over the last four weeks and and had COVID. Um, we know now, didn't know at that point. Um, and it's also mm -hmm. the day that yes, someone just as beautiful, her same age, was lost to violence. And that was Breonna Taylor. And we lift up her mom and we lift up her immediate family and everyone in Louisville that is out even as we're having this conversation and just what a year it has been and we've been kept by grace. And so having someone of your knowledge and wisdom and compassion to pause on this day has just been a blessing. And you are my friend. I love you. And I'm just continuous and continually in prayer that God just continues to lead God and direct you. You are working on some amazing projects. And so I'd like for us, for the audience to hear, you know, what you're working on right now in terms of your research and how people can get in touch with you and uh, just keep up with what you're doing and be able to continue. Oh, to thank you so much. And I think, you know, I will just say to people that my Instagram identity is probably the, the, my Instagram account is probably the best place to connect with me. Um, my full name, Savitra, S-A-V-I-T-R-I, Dixon Saxon, or S-A-V-I underscore S-D-S. Um, but, you know, Stephanie, I have to just tell you, I thank you so much for inviting me. I have listened to other guests. I never imagined that I had to offer anything that would compare to the other things, uh, other discussions um, you've had with other people. Of course, my favorite being the one that um, happened with Altoria Helms. Um, <laughs> Yes, yes, that 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 remains my favorite. But because your mother <laughs> she, she has been an example right? to all of us <laughs> about how to hold tight to your faith, be in the word, study the word. You know, she she is she's consistent in that way, and she is exactly who you want to grow up to be. Honestly, um, but I thank you so much for the opportunity and I thank God for anything that I have said that may wound up resonating with someone, um, someone else to God be the glory. And I, I thank him for being with me throughout the conversation. Um, I have an opportunity this year. I had an opportunity to um, start working on a lifespan development book with three other colleagues. And it's so interesting um, to have that opportunity because I have been a student of lifespan development for over 20 years now or more. And to have an opportunity to bring in my expertise as a lifelong student of diversity, equity, and inclusion into how we think about um, how we think about lifespan development has been a gift. Um, now, let me just remark, a laborious gift, okay? Uh, <laughs> but it is. Yes, sir. Yes. Because <laughs> I can't even remember the name of my book, but it's a maroon cover and it's thick. No. Because I have that lifespan development book and it don't yeah. have a lot of stuff regarding DEI. So I cannot wait. Well, I'm going to get book something. I was really excited because we're that doing one, case that, studies. That and of course, they're fictional case over. studies. Um, somewhat <laughs> fictional because my um, this one person I'm going to talk about is a composite of several young people I know. But it was really um, an opportunity to write about how a clinician would receive the anger and confusion at, of a young, you know, uh, 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 early adult African-American male in the face of all that we have experienced. Um, and it was, um, I would like to say it was cathartic, 
but I Ooh. would be lying if I didn't say that when you put things out there, it just reminds you of how fragile we really are when we interact with helpers. And so there is this nervousness and anxiety that, you know, uh, about whether or not people are being served by people who understand how the world has influenced them before they arrive in their office and wherever. So it's an, it's a, it's an opportunity. It really is an opportunity, but it, it definitely on. is one of those things where you're like, okay, we're going to have to come. We're going to have to bring it. <laughs> we're going to have to bring it. So. <laughs> well, thank oh, you. well, we're going to have to have you back for that because that, that, that sounds like a series right there <laughs> to have you back uh, to be able to express that, that, that is amazing. And for everyone, I mean, mm -hmm. just when you said that, just someone coming in, if someone came into your space after this last year, or even since last summer, when we were mm -hmm. looking very, mm -hmm. uh, pronouncedly at the three murders that happened in such a short amount of time back to back and if you don't if you haven't even leaned into yes. that again you're yes. upset because you can't do go to the movies but you've forgotten yeah. that this person has been on the yeah. street out protesting how effective are you going to be in helping them it, oh my gosh that's amazing well we pray blessings over that task because I can't even begin to imagine hmm. The amount of I work so. and practice that you all so. have had to underdo, undertake for that, but well worth it. Well worth it. Well, everyone, thank you all so much for tuning in. We hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you 